Okay, I think we will uh, we'll get started. Thanks for coming to our briefing today on corporate taxation. Uh, I'm Chris Edwards, Director of Tax Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. I'm also editor of Cato's website, downsizinggovernment.org. Uh, I'm going to provide a couple minutes of sort of overview of the general topic, and then I'm going to hand it off to our expert speakers today. Uh, corporate taxation is hugely important to the U.S. economy. Corporations subject to the corporate income tax produce about half of all U.S. GDP. Now, corporations, when you think about it, they hire workers and they build new factories in order to earn profits. Uh, in the United States, federal and state governments carve about 40 cents on every marginal dollar in profits uh, off, and that certainly affects uh, the behavior and incentives for corporations to invest and to grow. Uh, luckily, some leaders uh, in both political parties recognize that U.S. corporate tax reform is long overdue, and, it is, and it's especially important these days because of the lackluster economic growth we've got uh, here in the United States. So we all want the United States to return to strong uh, GDP growth, and I think corporate tax reform is one way we can do that. So we're delighted today to have uh, Jack Mintz and Kevin Hassett here to talk about corporate tax reform. Uh, Jack is visiting from Canada, so I'm particularly pleased he could uh, come to our uh, briefing today and provide us uh, with his expertise. Uh, and by the way, talking about Canada, the new Cato Policy Report, which is our sort of monthly uh, glossy magazine, has a cover story on Canada's fiscal reforms. So it's sort of like uh, Canada Month at the Cato Institute uh, this month. <laughs> An interesting uh, thing about both Jack and, and Kevin is they've both done work, uh, statistical work, looking at Laffer curve effects with the corporate income tax, looking at the relationship between corporate tax rates and corporate tax uh, revenues. Uh, the reality is, is that capital is more mobile than ever today in our globalized economy, and that has prompted every country, uh, every major country, to um, cut its corporate tax rate since the 1980s. One of the handouts today uh, is uh, I, I took a statistical look at OECD countries' corporate tax rates and revenues since the 1960s. And from the 60s to the mid-80s, the corporate tax rates in the OECD were generally above 40%. But that average OECD rate has plunged over time, and it's now around 25 or 26 percent. Interestingly, OECD countries generally raise more money now with the much lower statutory rate than they did back in the 60s and, and 1970s. And Canada has actually been a prototypical example uh, of this sort of corporate tax reform. Uh, another one of the handouts uh, out on the table outside shows that the Canadian government chopped its federal rate from 38% back in the 1980s down to just 15% today, and yet remarkably uh, the Canadian federal government raises as much money uh, now as they did in the 1980s, even though the rate is less than half as high. There are a couple of reasons for this, of course. One is that uh, many countries have legislated base broadening measures uh, in recent years. But another important reason is that there have been large behavioral responses to corporate tax rate cuts. Uh, as rates have gone down, reported corporate profits have increased. Uh, now this is all highly relevant to the U.S. corporate uh, tax debate. Uh, both uh, the White House and Republicans are interested in lowering the corporate rate, but the big hurdle seems to be concern about revenue losses that the government uh, may face. Uh, I think those fears of revenue losses are misplaced, but uh, I'm going to hand the, the podium over to our experts to hear what their views on, on that are. So uh, I'm going to uh, introduce Jack first, uh, who will talk for uh, 15 minutes or so. And then after that, I'll introduce Kevin, and, and he'll uh, provide his comments. Uh, Jack has a new uh, study that's uh, in the, on the table outside as well, if you didn't get that. 
and uh, Kevin will uh, talk about Jack's study and tax reform in general. So, so let me introduce uh, uh, Jack. Jack Mintz is uh, director of the School of Public Policy at the University of Calgary. Uh, indeed, I understand Jack helped found that public policy school in Calgary. He's the head of a former major, a major Canadian think tank, the C.D. Howe uh, Institute. He was formerly at University of Toronto and I think spent uh, time at uh, NYU Law School as well. Uh, he hails from Alberta and he got his PhD in economics from the University of Essex in Britain. Uh, in the advertisement for this event I said, uh, Jack played a leading role in Canada's drive to reduce his federal corporate tax rate to just 15%. And I, did, and I think that's uh, even an understatement of uh, Jack's huge role in convincing both liberal and conservative uh, governments in Canada over time to lower the corporate tax rate. Uh, the corporate tax reform in Canada has been a bipartisan effort and uh, Jack has led the way with that. So we're very lucky to have him here in Washington uh, today. He's got a new uh, study out, as I, I mentioned, with his co-author, uh, Joanji Chen, who uh, is sitting here uh, in the front row. Um, they look at corporate effective tax rates around the world, and with that, I'm going to hand it, the podium over to Jack. Well, thank you very much, uh, Chris. It's uh, certainly a pleasure to be here. Uh, I, you know, it's in a way, it's, a, it's kind of a historical moment for Canada to, uh, to have a Canadian come down to the United States and tell the United States, you know, think of what we've done. We now actually have lower taxes than you. Uh, and in fact, in the area of business taxation. Uh, that is astounding because I wouldn't have been, been able to say that even four years ago. Uh, and it's, uh, it's been quite a big change. Uh, to think about that actually Canada is now more tax competitive than the United States. That's not something you would be able to say going back uh, from at least the Second World War up to about uh, a few years ago. Uh, and so I think it's a big change. In fact, uh, I think I will go through some of the things that we've done in Canada, but my real comment is, is really more about the United States. Uh, I do think the United States needs to adopt a strategy lowering rates and broadening tax bases. I think I'm a great believer in uh, the idea of having uh, corporate rates, uh, marginal rates fall uh, in order to, in part, uh, help governments uh, collect more revenue because of uh, international income shifting, which I'll talk about later on, uh, but also uh, broadening the tax base and having a more neutral approach where uh, business activities are taxed at, at a similar rate. Uh, I think the, there's a lot of value to having a more neutral tax base as well. And in fact, it's uh, something which uh, many studies have shown that there's significant productivity gains uh, when you do have uh, more neutrality in, in the business tax structure. In fact, uh, personally, I don't think government should be too involved in boardrooms of corporations and trying to decide what are the most economically and profitable uh, types of investment activities to take place. And as I always quip in Canada, uh, governments really don't know what, very well what are the best and, uh, uh, opportunities and what are the winners and the losers uh, in, in the economy, uh, but often uh, losers are very good at picking governments uh, for uh, special handouts. So uh, let, me, um, let me just uh, kind of review, I think, some of the major results. Uh, what we do is we calculate uh, what we call the marginal effective tax rate uh, on capital which is really taking into account not just corporate income taxes, the statutory rate, depreciation allowances, treatment of inventory deductions, investment tax credits, investment allowances across various countries, uh, but we also uh, uh, take into account other capital-related taxes, asset-based taxes, sales taxes and capital purchases, et cetera. 
Uh, and we compute that in terms of looking at what we call the marginal investment. This is where firms invest in capital until the return on capital is equal to the cost of capital, uh, and including the taxes. And so for an example, if a company, uh, let's say, earns a 20% rate of return on capital, and uh, there's an effective tax rate of 50%, uh, then the after-tax return will be 10%. And, and if 10% is what they need to get uh, investors to invest in the industry, uh, then that, uh, then you can think of that as the kind of the marginal rate, and companies will at least have to uh, get that marginal rate. Now, I should say, you didn't mention this, Chris, but I will, I will admit I am on corporate boards, on three of them, and I can tell you that from an investment point of view, the, uh, the kind of uh, hurdle rates is very important in, in understanding uh, investment decisions and what takes place. Uh, and in fact, uh, taxes do come into those kinds of calculations in, in a very significant way. Now, uh, what we show is uh, we look at 90 countries. Sorry, this is okay. Uh, we look at 90 countries. And, uh, and, and the 90 countries, uh, this has been built up over the years. We first started uh, in 2004 with OECD countries, we then started out adding on some more countries, working with the World Bank. Uh, but now we have, uh, we've now gone, uh, Duanja just keeps adding more and more countries every year, but we're now done, we've now done 90 to uh, look across, uh, across the world. And what we find is, uh, in the case of, uh, of the United States, uh, actually the U.S. now is uh, pretty close to the top of the 90 uh, in terms of having the highest marginal effective tax rate on capital. And this is looking at all the various industries, manufacturing and services, uh, and also different assets, uh, uh, land, uh, inventories, uh, structures and machinery, and taking into account all the different tax depreciation rates around, across around this world. Uh, but the United States is now ranked four out of uh, 90, but it's nothing to be really proud of because the ones that are just higher than them are Argentina, Chad, and Uzbekistan. Do you pronounce that correctly? we really proud today. Um, anyway, and uh, which are really small countries. So really amongst large countries, uh, actually uh, U.S. is particularly non-competitive. These results, by the way, are uh, not, not inconsistent with most of the studies that have been done. Department of Finance in Ottawa does similar studies and get similar rankings as we do, uh, and although they don't do 90 countries, they just do OECD countries. Uh, the G20 has done their report and they got a similar ranking as we do. Uh, and in fact, there has been a report done here uh, in, in the United States, uh, I believe it's U.S. Treasury that did it, but uh, where they claim that Canadian effective tax rate is higher than the American. Uh, but what they did is took a very strange sort of set of calculations. In fact, it's a real outlier report. Uh, first of all, they assumed that the property tax rate in Canada is 3%. There's actually no data. Maybe you can actually calculate the effective tax rate in, 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 now in Canada, so I don't know how they did it. But they took 0.5% in the United States. And there's an Ontario report that's uh, been critical in this calculation because their, their estimate of the property tax rate is much higher. One of the things that the American uh, study has left out so far from the government is the role of sales taxes on capital purchases, which in Canada is very important with the retail sales tax and is still operating in only three provinces uh, today. Well, actually, one went to the value tax and now to switch back, which is British Columbia, but also Saskatchewan, Manitoba, relatively small provinces. But most of Canada now has the value tax at the provincial level. And there's very little tax on capital goods when you have a value added tax. But there is a big tax on, when you have a retail sales tax. 
In fact, a significant reason for part of the reduction in our effective tax rate in Canada has been sales tax harmonization between federal and provincial levels, where we've moved to a value-added tax. It's been, uh, I think it's been about seven or eight percentage points of the marginal effective tax rate. In the United States, retail sales tax is very important, and one of the reasons our number comes up much higher than the President's number is because of that sales tax on, on capital goods. It, it does play a very important role. Now, uh, so the U.S. is actually uh, much higher, and, uh, and in fact, Canada has gone uh, quite a bit down relative to the United States. So just to give you an idea, uh, while the United States has a marginal effective tax rate of 35.6% in 2012, and has uh, virtually un been unchanged since 2005, uh, Canada uh, has gone from 38.8% in 2005 to 19.9%. So we have that marginal effective tax rate. Part of it is reducing our statutory corporate income tax rate. It's gone from the combined federal-provincial rate is, is with 34% in uh, 2000, uh, 2005. It's gone down to 27.6%, uh, sorry, 26.1% uh, in uh, 2012. Uh, so there's been a significant reduction in that statutory tax rate. But we also eliminated capital taxes on, on uh, on, uh, on companies, and that's been another major change uh, uh, that's happened in Canada. Um, so we've had really three major changes that occurred that, that led to our sharp reduction in the marginal effective tax rate. One has been the reduction in the corporate income tax rate. The second has been the elimination of capital taxes on non-financial uh, businesses, primarily, although also some financial, depending on the provinces. And um, and we've also uh, have had sales tax harmonization to a large extent. Now, uh, about uh, 70, uh, over 70% of Canada now is under a value-added tax or, or not having sales tax at all. And, and so as a result, we've eliminated a lot of taxes on, on capital uh, investments uh, as, as a result. We have also done some base broadening. Uh, we had a whole program of matching capital cost allowances to economic depreciation rates, and that which has been done budget by budget. Uh, but there has been some accelerated depreciation, mainly in manufacturing and forestry, uh, that has been adopted by federal and provincial governments over the past several years, and that's been the, the primary uh, uh, source of, of special credits, et cetera, uh, that's been available. There has been some elimination of uh, some of the fast write-offs or tax credits in Canada, uh, particularly in the last budget. Uh, the corporate mineral exploration tax credit has been eliminated uh, in Canada for the mining industry. Uh, and also, uh, there's been eliminated, there's been a scaling back of what's called the Atlantic Investment Tax Credit that was particularly important to the oil and gas and mining industry, uh, although it still remains for manufacturing and forestry. Uh, so we still have a little bit of that base narrowing stuff in Canada. Politicians love doing that stuff. Uh, but uh, there has been some important matching of the tax base uh, with economic income uh, earned by corporations over time. So what's been the, the kind of the story for Canada in terms of what we've achieved uh, as, as a result? By the way, you can look at the paper and see the 90 country ranking and comparisons with the OECD and emerging countries. Uh, but what's been the story in Canada in terms of what some of those gains are? Uh, well, first of all, on the investment side, you can see that it's been a significant improvement in real investment in Canada in the past decade compared to the previous decade. So certainly uh, uh, in some of the studies that have been done, particularly one important study that looked at the first five years of corporate rate reductions, 
uh, that certainly there has been an, an improvement in the investment climate, an additional investment that has come into Canada as a, as a result. Uh, and there has been some productivity gains, an improvement in productivity for Canada compared to uh, a pretty miserable average when we had a uh, miserable situation in the 90s uh, when, we, uh, when we had uh, very poor productivity in the, in the country and uh, we weren't doing very well uh, from an economic uh, point of view at that point in time. Uh, so uh, certainly there's a, a significant, uh, 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 let's say, uh, evidence to show that there is, uh, you know, the, the tax reductions did have an impact on investment and did have improved the climate for investment. There's other things that went on too, but certainly that there, there was a positive impact and it was a significant impact along with other factors that influence investment. The other point which I think is really important has been that the, uh, the, the reduction in the statutory tax rates uh, and even with some of the base broadening, although the base broadening has been a, a less important effect, uh, has been able to maintain corporate tax revenues. And in the handout I give you, there's a graph of, uh, for Canada which shows the reduction in the large corporation tax rate from 34.2% to 27.6% uh, from 205 to 211. And you can see that corporate income taxes as a share of GDP uh, has been uh, almost constant during that period. Even in the recession, there wasn't much of a reduction. And in fact, the tax base has expanded uh, quite, uh, quite a bit. And I know that a number of people ask me about what about shifting from the personal tax sector into the corporate sector as you have this reduction in corporate rates. Well, in Canada, you have to remember that our system is quite a bit different than, than Canada. First of all, we don't have a very big unincorporated business sector. And the reason for that uh, is that uh, at the small business level, most people tend to incorporate uh, their small business activities uh, because, um, because of the deferral advantage in the sense that, uh, uh, that, they, can, um, uh, that they, can, they can get a relatively low corporate income tax rate uh, compared to uh, the general rate, uh, but it encourages them to uh, refinance their capital with retained earnings. However, what's more important, in Canada we have uh, integration of corporate and personal taxes. And so our dividend tax credit and our uh, capital gains exclusion rate, which brings the capital gains tax rate, we, we do those in order to keep the same combined corporate and personal tax rate on dividends and capital gains as you would have for wages and interest income and other things. So when it comes to being an unincorporated business, there's, there's, no, uh, there's no advantage, uh, there's no disadvantage of becoming a corporation in Canada because there's no double taxation at the small business level. And in fact, you still get this advantage through, uh, through the deferral approach where, uh, where because of low corporate income tax, uh, that you can, uh, you know, if you don't need the cash out of the company, then you can, uh, you can uh, maintain the, the small business corporation. So as a result, there's very little, there's not that much shift that goes on between the personal sector and the corporate rate when we lower uh, corporate rates in Canada. So most of the income shifting has really been at the international level, and you can see that in the growth of the large corporate uh, tax base in Canada that has grown quite a bit over the past uh, number of years. Uh, this, this kind of evidence is also consistent with a lot of the Laffer curve evidence and other studies that have been done on the sensitivity of the tax base to statutory rate reductions uh, in, in showing, and in fact, we do these calculations. And in fact, when we were at really high rate in Canada, our, in 2000, our combined corporate, uh, corporate, federal and provincial corporate tax rate was 43% uh, at that time. Uh, 
we calculated that probably when we lowered the rate at that point, we probably raised revenues because of this response of higher income shifting uh, going into Canada as a result. Uh, when you get down to the 25-26% rate, there's more balancing that you could, you know, there's a point where you start losing revenues as opposed to gaining revenue, and that's because the Laffer, at least my estimate of the Laffer curve corporate income tax rate is roughly around 28%, which I think is pretty consistent with, um, with uh, Kevin's uh, estimates as well. So, uh, main point is to say is that uh, we have been able to achieve much lower statutory tax rates and they don't cost the government as much money as what's uh, often estimated uh, in, in these effects. And, uh, and that's partly because of this international profit shifting, which is uh, extremely important. Uh, so it's a really good news story about Canada. Uh, we now have, uh, certainly internationally, people look at Canada as a much better place to invest, and uh, governments haven't lost money. In fact, uh, they've done quite well. And so it's, uh, it, it really is a good story in that way, and I think it's one that the United States should certainly uh, consider as it uh, looks at corporate tax reform uh, in the next while. Thanks very much. Next is uh, Kevin Hassett, who is Director of Economic Policy Studies at uh, AEI. Before joining AEI, Kevin was a Senior Economist at the Fed and also an Associate Professor of Economics and Finance at Columbia University. Uh, according to his bio, he's advised uh, Presidents uh, Bush 1, Clinton, and Bush 2. Uh, he also served as a Senior Economic Advisor to the McCain 2008 Presidential Campaign. He has a PhD in Economics from the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, and Kevin truly is one of Washington's top uh, tax and fiscal experts. Uh, he's an expert on uh, tax policy, corporate taxes, the U.S. economy, the stock market, and many other things. He's also a columnist at National Review, and you see his, his columns actually in all kinds of different places. So I'm really honored to have uh, Kevin here. Thanks, Chris. And, and I think I'll uh, stay here because um, I'm going to be uh, often commenting on Jack's paper and being able to converse with him in, in the midst of my remarks, I, I think, would make for a, a more informative conversation. The, the, uh, the first thing that, that I'd like to say is that just make sure that if you're working in tax that you grab uh, the paper in the back. Uh, the, the tables on effective tax rates around the world are... Uh, you know, there, there are better tables than, I have a paper on this that's a couple years old, Aparna and I, uh, Aparna Matura and I have a paper on the, on the same topic. The rankings are somewhat similar, uh, but, but Jack does a much better job of adjusting for tax base uh, concerns. Uh, their, their paper is more complete uh, than ours. Uh, maybe you had a, had a bigger budget or something when you were putting the staff together to do it. Uh, but it really is, right now, the uh, reference on, on this topic. And, and, and it puts to, to rest completely the talking point that you hear sometimes uh, from opponents of corporate reform that, well, you know, sure, the corporate rate in the U.S., the statutory rate's high, but the effective rate is really, really low. Um, if you look at the people who make that argument, the m most common way that they make the argument is really to more or less uh, uh, concede the Laffer curve point. Uh, because uh, you'll see people say, well, you know, there's, they don't get much revenue in the U.S. because there, there are so many loopholes. Uh, and so revenue to GDP is really low in the U.S., even though they're the high corporate tax country now in the OECD. It's absolutely true that revenue to GDP is low in the U.S., and it's, you know, you could 
yeah, I mean, it's clear, I think, from, from our research that it's because there is a Laffer curve in the data. So if we had a 100% tax rate, we'd get no revenue, and Paul Krugman would say we're a low-tax country. Uh, and uh, the fact is that this conversation has to smarten up, or you know, America's workers are not going to get back to work. There, there's a, a, a real raging fire in the U.S., and it's that we're the high-tax country. Our, our tax policy is stupider than the tax policy in all but a few, a few countries. In our data set, we have a few different countries, but in our data set, the two countries that are stupider than the U.S. in tax policy are Guyana and the Congo. Uh, and, and uh, you know, but who knows, they, they might be changing it right now. Uh, so, so that's the first thing, is that the, that the effective rate, as, as measured with the sort of best possible science that we have right now, is high in the U.S. too. That's point one. Uh, the second point is that, that I've known Jack for many, many years. You might not be able to tell from looking at him, but we're kind of getting on in years, the two of us. And, and I, maybe it was the late 80s when we first met at tax conferences at the NBER and other places. And, and I can tell you that, that I don't know uh, what party Jack is. I don't know if he's a left winger or a white, right winger or, you know, a no winger. Uh, the, the, the fact is that if you look, and this is really important and really interesting, because because it seems like, uh, especially if you pay attention to debates in Washington, that it's kind of a, become a partisan issue in the U.S., that the right says you should cut the rate, the left says, oh, no, no, you shouldn't do it, and then they point to some stupid fact like the, you know, they're conceding the Laffer curve without recognizing it or something. But, but it's a really ugly debate. Uh, the staffs in Washington are really partisan on this. They, they, they're not accurately uh, characterizing the literature. There's a recent uh, Joint Economic Committee hearing I think that, that helps reveal that pretty accurately. Uh, and, and the fact is, though, that if you look at Canada, so why is it that here we are, uh, you know, Cato is bringing a Canadian, for God's sakes, to Washington to teach us about good tax policy. But that's not the craziest thing that's happened this year. AEI brought the Swedish Minister of Finance. The Swedish finance minister came and said, hey, guys, you guys are really screwing up. You're really to the left of Sweden. Uh, and, and, and he had very sound advice. Okay, so, so the question is, uh, my first question really for Jack is that, that somehow the partisan divide that created a gridlock that's like basically I think tied us to a sinking ship uh, in the U.S. If we don't get out of this gridlock, I think it's really bad for America's workers. Uh, so it didn't happen in Canada. So, so, so why is it? it I, I have an article about this in Nash Review a, a, about a month ago where I said that we'll get sound tax reform in the U.S. as soon as the average Democrat is as reasonable as the average Canadian liberal. Uh, and I said, so don't bet on it. Uh, but, but, but the question is, why is it that it happened? How, how is it that the liberals in Canada became, you know, that tax reform became their issue? They're the ones who first started uh, reducing the corporate rate. Uh, well, it's a, that's, a, that's a really interesting uh, question about how, the, how these things develop. You have to remember that in Canada, we went through a very period of very high deficits and fast-growing government all through the uh, period starting kind of around 1965, uh, going into the early 90s. And uh, because of these high deficits and very high debt, uh, tax rates started going up a lot. Uh, and in fact, uh, personal tax rate, the top marginal rate, hit 53.2%. You have to remember in Canada at that point, uh, high income was anything above $86,000 in income, which, uh, you know, so we also, you know, uh, had, uh, had that issue. And then on the business ta tax side, governments brought in capital taxes to try to deal with the deficit. They also, uh, they also brought in uh, higher corporate income tax rates, or, or at least uh, uh, didn't, didn't try to, uh, they didn't try to re uh, reduce them at all. Uh, but there was a very significant increase in uh, the tax burden on industries uh, in, in Canada. And we got into this uh, period, high deficits, very low productivity uh, from the period uh, 1989 to 99. 
and 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 there was a tremendous resistance on part of the Canadian public to any to deal with the uh, or to not increase taxes anymore, and and there was also a very significant push by the Canadian public that uh, the deficit had to be dealt with, and when Canada in 1994. Uh, almost uh, had to go to the IMF to borrow money because they hit the wall, because foreign indebtedness had gone up so much. Uh, the government knew they had to start addressing issues, and so the first action was to deal with the deficit, and they, they undertook major expenditure cuts, uh, with, and that was by Paul Martin, the Liberal Finance Minister at that time. And then, uh, and then after that, he wanted to get to the revenue side, and the most complicated part of the system was the business tax structure, and uh, David Dodge, who later on became governor of the Bank of Canada, but he was deputy minister of finance, and he was particularly concerned about this very high corporate income tax rate we had in Canada, the tax avoidance that comes along with it, the pressures that it puts on the system. And so he actually came to me and Paul Martin and asked me to run a tax reform commission, which we came out with a very fundamental report on business tax reform in Canada. But that had set the stage for corporate tax reform in Canada, and so uh, both the federal government and the provinces started using that report, the philosophy of the report, lower rates, broadened uh, tax bases, as, as a process for tax reform over a number of years. So we didn't do a big bang reform, but it was done over piece by, bit by bit, over 13 years. Uh, so, so we brought that corporate income tax rate down from 43% to 26% today. We've, um, we've eliminated capital taxes. And we've done some base broadening and tried to achieve more neutrality. And we've also done the sales tax harmonization. So it's been a whole concerted effort by governments of all, all, all party stripes. And in the end, the public, they, they didn't mind seeing these reductions on, on businesses because the public got worried about job creation. They cared about jobs. And, and, and there was a lot of concern initially in Ottawa that if they started cutting the corporate rate, there might be a reaction to it. But actually, it didn't happen at all. When they, when they announced the rate reductions, it was booth. Nobody cared. In fact, they, the public supported it because they thought that this was going to be a way of trying to get more jobs and more investment in the economy. Thanks. And, and so uh, I know Chris is going to want to ask some questions too, so I'm not just going to interrogate you. But, but uh, did, it, did the report make predictions about what would happen, sort of like what would happen to revenue if we do this and stuff like that? And, and since it is kind of the report that saved Canada, what one might say, uh, have you ever done a retrospective to, to provide the document that you might need, like suppose that the Joint Economic Committee wanted to have a hearing about the report that saved Canada and, and you, know, mm -hmm. you know, did it turn out? Because it, it would have a, a, a world view about, well, this affects this, this affects that, that could be testable. Uh, so have you ever done a follow-on report? That, that would look to see if like revenues exceeded what you thought and things like that. Well, we actually did uh, have revenue estimates. In fact, we were the first time it, in our report. It was the first time that anyone incorporated some income shifting estimates, and we didn't. We had pretty conservative ones at that time, so we probably underestimated the growth in the corporate tax base uh, that was expected. Uh, and uh, and uh, but we did include a bit of that. In fact, uh, typically the Department of Finance in Ottawa at that time didn't include behavioral effects when they, when they looked at corporate tax changes. Uh, but uh, but uh, we did in terms of including that for the, uh, and in the sense that we said, well, you know, with our rate reductions, uh, which at that time we had recommended cutting the federal rate from 29% to 21%, uh, 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 and, uh, and the provinces cut their rate by about a point. Uh, we had predicted that uh, even though you get a, 
you know, pretty significant cut by about a third in the corporate rate, uh, the um, uh, in the combined rate that we we only predicted the tax base would grow by 20 percent due to income shifting. Later on, Michael Smart and I have done a major paper on uh, looking at Canadian data, and actually we got much bigger sensitivity results. And uh, and those are the numbers I tend to use now in doing my forecasting on on the corporate tax base and, and looking at the impacts. Have we done a study to kind of look at the, go back and evaluate it? Not yet, but it's a great idea, Kevin. Maybe we should. Yeah, maybe we should do that together. Yeah. It, uh, the, the other thing that I often talk about when I talk about corporate uh, tax reform in the U.S. is that there's an unusual political hurdle in the U.S. And it goes like this, that the, the one sense in which the, the Laffer curve creates a political obstacle is that it's true that U.S. multinationals, you know, forget about Boeing and Caterpillar where they have nailed down operations that pay the high statutory rate and they have, you know, com real competitive disadvantage vis-a-vis -vis, you know, foreign uh, competitors. But, you know, for most U.S. companies that have uh, lots of intellectual capital, you know, they have the ability to transfer the intellectual capital to a low tax environment and then transfer price, the profits to Ireland or wherever, uh, they aren't paying the high rate in the U.S., uh, but the reason that they're not higher paying the high rate in the U.S. is they're not creating so many jobs. I and mean, maybe there's a little bit of positive feedback between the Irish employment and the U.S. employment. Matt Slaughter has a paper on that. But for the most part, our tax code induces corporations to expand their foreign operations, transfer price, the profits over there. Uh, and if they do that, then they don't have to pay U.S. tax until they mail the money home, which could be never. Uh, and, and so the result is that the average rate on foreign uh, profits for U.S. multinationals is probably around 17% right now. Uh, and, and so what that means is that if somebody comes out and says, hey, guys, let's have a base broadening corporate tax reform, then to the extent that a multinational is worried that we're going to change the international tax rules, then he probably doesn't think he's going to come out ahead. And, and so, and so you know, it basically every time you try to get the corporate community in Washington around cutting the corporate rate, you know, they're kind of, the, they're, they're in opposition, a, a lot of them, because the current system is working pretty well for them. It's the U.S. workers that are really getting screwed by the current system. So, so, so first uh, question. Uh, in Canada, because I guess Canada's always been more territorial, right? Than, than well, we, we call it dividend exemption system. In yeah. fact, I don't even like the word territorial okay. because it means all foreign source income is exempt. Really what the U.S. is talking about is similar to Canada and U.K. has done now, Japan, and that is a dividend exemption system where you exempt foreign dividends coming to the parent. Mm -hmm. And, and so, uh, from corporate tax. From corporate tax. But, but the point is, was this political force present in Canada or was it not? Because, because you were talking about how, well, you know, people could transfer price and avoid the corporate tax. And so maybe if you crack down on their ability to do that while you're cutting the rate, then you're lifting revenues from multinationals. They recognize it and then they're lobbying against your tax bill. Did, did well, actually, our, our, our corporations didn't lobby at all because they actually felt that. Uh, they wanted to see more domestic uh, investment in Canada. I think there was a real concern about, you know, the need for job creation. It goes back to uh, what was happening. Uh, we've, we've had a dividend exemption system uh, since 1972. Uh, in the, the current system was adopted in, in 1972. And, uh, and uh, so effectively, uh, our tax base does become more sensitive to, you know, what happens around the world uh, as a result. And so, uh, but we don't get the same issues as in the United States where companies piled up cash in foreign jurisdictions because dividend exemption system, you could put, you know, that it wasn't cash relevant. You, uh, you know, you might try to push your money into lower tax jurisdictions or your investment there, but that's a different story. Uh, I think what really happened is that people did know this in Canada that 
that the, the low Irish tax rate, for example, uh, which helped push uh, Galen Weston to put more, more investments in, in Ireland and, and many other companies, um, as, well as, uh, you know, as well as the fact that we had such a high uh, relative tax burden on, on, on investment in Canada, that, uh, that this was really hurting ourselves a lot. And so when the government uh, came out with its, um, or when our report came out originally with much lower rate and a number of base broadening things, of course some of the industries didn't want to give up their special credits. And in fact the Kane Tax Foundation had a, had a very amusing uh, panel with every, uh, every industry uh, on the panel and they all got up and said we love the lower corporate income tax rate but don't touch our, our special concession. Uh, but it looked great because <laughs> they all said that and then it sort of, you know, and and by the time the whole, uh, in fact, I got up the next day and I, they were all worried about the federal government cherry picking our report and you know doing some horrible things to the industry, and I said, you know what, I've been listening to two days of cherry picking where the industry was saying, give me our, oh, we love the corporate rate reduction, but don't touch our special incentive, and uh, but what happened actually, the view I think really what happened amongst a lot of tax professionals and uh, people involved in public policy is they viewed that this was really a good thing to do was to get the rates down and not you know and 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 that um, and that the big thing was to get jobs and investment in Canada they weren't worried about multinationals investing yeah, that, that's in actually my countries. last thing and I'll go back to, to Chris which is, which is that the thing that about this paper that's interesting is that there's been a, a dispute between you know me and CRS's uh, people uh, if not CRS about the Laffer curve literature and uh, they assert that it's just no guide whatsoever to what would happen in, here in the US and and uh, you know I respectfully disagree but I, I was you know happy to see that, that the Canadian uh, uh, the experience is, is fully consistent with what we would have said, which is that, that you didn't see a big reduction in, in revenue when you cut the rates. The thing that you don't have in the paper, that I, that's my last question, which I, if it was there I'd have been dancing all the way here, uh, is that we also have, and as you know, Jim Hines and, and Fritz Foley and a bunch of other people now have been doing this, uh, have analyzed the impact of corporate taxes on the welfare of workers. You keep mentioning jobs, you know, but, but, but there are very clear links in the data, again, between lower corporate taxes and things like blue-collar wage growth. Uh, and uh, again, these are also effects that have been disputed a lot, uh, but not by people who are, who are actually participating in the literature, as far as I could tell. Like every paper seems to find this. But, but so is there something in the Canadian experience that confirms what we're seeing in all these, this wave uh, of uh, papers that are finding big corporate tax effects on, uh, on workers. Uh, and then after you answer that, uh, are you surprised that uh, the Treasury just came out with a study yesterday that says that the corporate tax is borne almost totally by corporate capital? Yeah. Well, actually that one does surprise me, but let me, <laughs> let me make two comments about, uh, about, uh, about the job effects and investment effects. Uh, one particularly good study I mentioned uh, was done uh, on looking at uh, the impact of, um, of the corporate tax changes that did occur between 2000 and 2005. And what they found was that uh, for every point reduction in uh, the cost of capital, you would get about a 0.7 percentage point increase in investment. And this is taking into account, you know, uh, GDP changes and, you know, all the factors that influence investment. And so when you start translating that number into the impact on jobs and uh, on investment, uh, it, it's a pretty significant uh, number. In fact, Wanji and I, in some of our publications, which you can see on the School of Public Policy website at the University of Calgary, we have actually put in some of those investment in, and um, 
and job impacts, and, and they are kind of consistent with kind of what you've seen in, 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 some, of the, in some of the stories, and it's based really on these various investment studies. The, the other point is on the tax incidents. You know, Canada's a small open economy. We know that. And it, the working hypothesis in the Department of Finance in Ottawa and all the provinces and in pretty well all the profession is to think of the corporate tax really as borne uh, not by capital because of the fact that uh, if, if you try to reduce the return on capital in Canada that, that savings will go elsewhere to the international market and that the international interest rates and the cost of finance, especially for large corporations, is determined by international markets not by Canadian savings rates. So the working hypothesis that everyone uses in Canada is that the corporate tax is only shifted for it, either through higher consumer prices uh, on the domestic side or through lower negotiated wages. But it also means if you have higher consumer prices, you have lower real, real wages, wages. To, uh, in, in the economy. And so we, we tend to assume that most of the corporate tax is shifted onto labor. Uh, I have a colleague who has an unpublished study that uh, actually tends to confirm that as well. And then, of course, when you look at the vast international literature now in the subject, uh, both the UK studies, a German study I know, uh, the, your study here in the United States, uh, there's a, certainly most people would now, at least I think most credible public finance tax economists would now argue that at least a significant portion or most of the corporate tax is shifted onto labor in, in terms of lower, or at least onto immobile factors of production uh, in the economy. And so when I hear that someone says 87% of the corporate tax is shifted back onto capital, uh, I really have a problem uh, with those studies. And, and if it's typically done with general equilibrium modeling, which I'm not, I haven't seen the details of this report, uh, you, can, you, can always, you can always concoct whatever model you want. Uh, but today, you, if you don't take into account the open economy, and even the United States has significant capital flows internationally going in and out of the country, uh, that none of those studies really are relevant, I think, to, uh, to what an economy is all about these days. Great questions, Kevin. <laughs> I've got actually two comments. I want to uh, just elaborate a little bit uh, for this non-Canadian audience about two things Jack says. I mean, one, he pointed out that the Canadian, I think he said the Canadian corporate tax system is integrated. I think what he means when he's talking about that is, um, you know, in this country we have a 15% federal corporate uh, federal capital gains and individual dividend tax rate. In Canada, for a long time, they've had a 50% uh, capital gains exclusion. Uh, and the, on the dividend side, the individuals get a credit for uh, corporate level taxes uh, paid. I don't know how big that is. But the idea is that um, capital gains and dividends are double taxed, and Canada's long taken that into account. In this country, sometimes I think people view the 15% dividend capital gains rate as some sort of unjustified special giveaway. It's not. It's, it's, it's uh, a response to the double taxation of corporate equity. The other point that uh, Jack made uh, that uh, I think is really interesting and needs more policy discussion, U.S. retail sales taxes, which I guess range from I don't know, zero up to eight or nine percent, something like that. A, a large share of those retail sales taxes, they fall on, uh, on in intermediate business purchases. In other words, they fall, the impact doesn't fall on consumers like retail sales taxes are supposed to. It, the, the impact, uh, the burden falls on, on, the, on the business investment. And this is, uh, I understand, an important uh, point in, in Jack's calculation. In Canada, they've, they've gone to a federal 5% uh, VAT or GST. 
uh, and the provinces are harmonizing with that. They're getting rid of the retail sales taxes and they're putting VATs in at the, at the provincial level rather than retail sales taxes, and that reduces the burden uh, on investment. I'm going to ask one quick question, Jack, then we can go to the audience, and that is to elaborate just a little bit more about the Canadian scoring of the corporate tax rate cuts during the 90s, I understand, there was a, or during the 2000s, there was a, a, a uh, phased-in rate cut starting in 2000, then I guess later in 2006, and the, and the government um, uh, finance ministry projected substantial revenue losses from those. Those revenue losses didn't seem to materialize. Well, it actually goes back to a comment I made uh, in, in uh, forecast done in Canada, which uh, on the corporate tax particularly, there's very little dynamic uh, analysis done. Uh, in fact, typically what they do is they have a macro model and uh, they try to, pro they try to um, uh, project profits going forward. In the macro model, there, if there's a change in the tax system that lowers the cost of capital, then there might be some investment impacts and impact on profits that way. So there's a, that's a one dynamic uh, part that's included. Uh, but there's no income shifting uh, type of uh, analysis. And what's happened is that we've lowered the rate, the, the tax base gets larger. And so actually the, the estimated revenue impacts of every rate reduction gets bigger and bigger year by year because we've had these stage reductions in corporate income tax rates uh, all these years. And so uh, just to give you an example, back in 1998 when I uh, worked, in, you know, when we did the Tax Reform Commission, we assumed that a point reduction in the general corporate income tax rate the, for large corporations, which by the way, we had a lower one for manufacturing uh, in Canada at that time, but by, and we were just lowering it down to the manufacturing rate. Uh, when we, when we, uh, we, we estimated the cost of that was about $400 million per point. Uh, today, if I did that same calculation, it, it would be about seven or $800 million per point. And, and that's not because of growth of GDP only. In fact, it's because of this base expansion that's actually gone faster uh, than, um, than, than GDP. So it's, uh, you know, it, it kind of tells you the story there. And, and, and I think that that's why I think it's really important to look at this income shifting, uh, especially at the international level, think of, think of that more. It may be different for the United States because, you know, you have your uh, tax on dividends that multinationals pay when they bring from abroad, and that has potentially some different behavioral impacts, uh, but, uh, uh, but I think it's really important to think about that and, and, and what it does, and certainly I think the estimates for Canada, once you take into account income shifting, you can explain a lot better the behavior of corporate tax revenues over time.